It's the Save Democracy Podcast. I'm Steve Goldstein. We can safely call Arizona a pioneer when it comes to independent and unaffiliated voters and people who simply didn't want to be associated with one of the two major parties for an endless list of reasons. And in a state that has leaned to the right for more than half a century, it's those independents whose influence has continued to grow. Would Kirsten Cinema and Mark Kelly be Arizona's two U.S. senators if not for the power of independence? That is highly unlikely. And the Republicans deciding to vote for Democrats or to simply leave parts of their ballots blank had a lot to do with Democratic success this November in statewide races. It's the independents that candidates are needing to pay more and more attention to. So, who are these independents? The initial assumption decades ago that they were moderates has proven to be inaccurate. There are certainly some who are moderate, who want compromise, and who are less driven by ideology. But plenty of independents grew tired of their party's right or leftward swing, or were turned off by candidates. Some want government to get out of the way, while others want a more effective problem-solving government. Tom Riley has co-written the book The Independent Voter. He's also co-director of Arizona State University's Center for an Independent and Sustainable Democracy, and he is my guest on this edition of the Save Democracy podcast. Tom, welcome. Thank you for being here. How much potential is there to change the system state by state to give independents more of a say in who's chosen in the primary and then who's ultimately elected in November? Well, I think that you're hitting upon a really key point because I think where independents span the political spectrum and, and they are unpredictable. And, and in the research that we have done at the um, Arizona State University Center for Independent and Sustainable Democracy, we have you know, documented historically that uh, independents not only do not have partisan loyalty, that they move, but they move in and out of independent status over longer, uh, over multiple elections. And I think that's significant because it is that unpredictability of how they will vote. And um, But to your point, I think where they do coalesce together is around their ability to fully participate in elections in the democracy. Um, I, I think I can fairly represent the sentiment that most independents feel that you should not have to join a party in order to participate in elections. Um, and given how our congressional districts that, you know, not just deal with congressional offices, but down ballot uh, are set up, many gerrymandered, uh, most decisions are made in most offices in the primary. And what we do know about primaries, primary voting is that the most extremes from both parties uh, come out the vote. So in essence, what you're having is that many major decisions about key uh, offices are determined in the primary. And in many states, um, independents are precluded uh, or excluded from actually voting in primaries unless they join the parties. And of course, it differs between state to state of how early you have to join the party in order to participate. In New York, for example, it's it, it's quite a lengthy period. So it's not something you can decide in a month or two before the election. Do most people who are independents make that choice when they're 21 years old, for example, or the first time they can vote? Or is it mostly from folks who have, for whatever reason, become disenchanted with either the Republican or Democratic Party? That's a really good uh, question. And I think it's a combination of, and I think that, you know, part of the issue of the independent voter is that um, 
both from the media perspective and from academia with political scientists, is that they've been fairly dismissive about who the independent voter is. Uh, and this stems back to how, you know, how we collect data about uh, political persuasion and, and political choices. Uh, 1952, nationally, we start collecting data on how people identify themselves. Um, if you identified yourself as independent, we asked a follow-up question, do you lean Republican or Democrat? Because the majority of individuals, because they were asked and they only have two choices, lean, um, what happened is that they kind of whittled down that percentage of individuals and said that, you know, the majority of people are leaners and there's really only a small percentage of those that are independent. And I think this has been a fundamental flaw in our understanding of independent voters. Um, there's been very little data to look at their voting patterns over time. And so specifically to your question is that, you know, what's interesting about this phenomena is that, phenomena is that we find about 52% of millennials and 52% of uh, Gen Z um, are now not party affiliated. And that's pretty astounding if you think about it. So that the majority of young people now have chosen not to join a party. And this has uh, a lot of implications. One that comes to top of mind is that, you know, if when we go to the ballot um, uh, and we choose our candidates or our ballot initiatives, where do we go to get our information? Historically, we go to our political parties to guide us on who to vote, particularly down ballot candidates. Well, if now the majority of young people don't have that, where where are they getting their political information, right, to determine who they vote for? So I think we're seeing a combination of young people who, who, who for many reasons now are disenchanted and don't want to be part of the two-party system. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have individuals that have participated in uh, political parties and, and party life and, and, and partisan politics and have become increasingly disenfranchised, um, uh, namely around the issue of the intense polarization that we're seeing uh, being played out. And I think that is the key in understanding independent voters is that in our own research, we find that many move in and out of independent status over time. So in, in one election, they may identify as a Democrat, and then the next is an independent, and then maybe the next is a Republican. And again, I think that underscores this whole phenomena. Power is in their unpredictable nature of how they're voting. And I think this is being played out that we saw in the midterms. Would there be the potential for more of a dynamic of solving problems as opposed to saying terrible things about the other side? if independents had more of a say in, in the whole process along the way, starting in February of an election year, as opposed to, as we talked about, September or October of an election year. So it calls into question, you know, how we select uh, our candidates, uh, particularly in the primary elections. You know, the, the, the major parties feel very strongly is that they should have the right to choose their own candidates. I, I clearly don't disagree with that. But we sh it shouldn't be taxpayer funded, right? If, if, if taxpayer dollars are funding the primary process, and that's a key part of how we elect our representatives, that we shouldn't exclude individuals and we shouldn't be excluding now the largest group of voters. So, uh, you know, if, if, we, if we continue to disenfranchise this larger group of individuals, I think the consequences um, uh, may be real surprising. Uh, because I think where independents are united is their push to look at a system that is fairer, that allows them to have a voice. In the current primary system, 
where most of our um, uh, congressional districts nationally are gerrymandered, um, tends to elect the most extreme individuals that are not representative of the majority of the electorate in their states. So rather than what used to be discussed of maybe there's a third party, like with Ross Perot back in 1992, the possible solution then seems to be more about changing the primary system as opposed to hoping that a third party pops up where this 35 to 40% of the electorate is because they're not all the same either. I mean, they're not necessarily going to agree on what to put together. So a significant change would be changing the primary system as opposed to hoping some political party pops up. I mean, you know, that that's my feeling. You know, when I talk about independence and write about independence, it's more of the small eye, right, versus the large eye. Uh, you know, I'm not convinced that, you know, many people choose not to be part of the Republicans or Democrats because they don't want to be party affiliated. So creating a third party, uh, particularly when you have such diversity of political views that make up independence, I think would be very challenging. And not that I would be opposed to multiple, multiple parties, and, and that is, you know, how most democracies are characterized, uh, particularly in Europe. But it goes to more of the fundamental issue is that how do you ensure that all Americans have a right to participate equally in our electoral process. And the two-party system has kind of hijacked our political system and our election system. And that was never intended by our forefathers. So the two-party system shouldn't shouldn't dominate uh, our ability to allow other individuals to participate. So we should be looking at other ways. And whether that means open primaries where uh, everybody can vote, there's been a suggestion we just do away with primaries uh, in general. Uh, to other uh, strategies that some states are adopting where you may have an open primary and then have the top two, four, or five candidates appear, and they can be of the same party, um, just the top vote getters. Uh, to other um, states that are looking at ranked choice voting, these are ways in order to ensure that the, the, the whole of the electorate um, have an equal participation. Um, and I think increasingly what we're seeing is that when candidates are appearing, they seem to be so polarized on both ends. And many citizens, you know, wonder, you know, with all the choices out there, why do we have these two polarized positions? And why is it that when one party suggests something, the other party just takes the opposite position? And it's just this, this hyperpolarization uh, to your question earlier that I think um, is leading to this um, large departure from the two parties for many individuals. Tom Riley, co-author of the book, The Independent Voter, also co-director of the Center for an Independent and Sustainable Democracy at ASU. Tom, thanks so much for the insights. Thank you, Steve. Thanks once again to my guest, Tom Riley. This is the Save Democracy podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. And to learn more about the effort to change Arizona's primary system, please go to the website, savedemocracyaz.com. I'm Steve Goldstein. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Save Democracy podcast.